You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. What a beginning to our morning. Um, Those songs, every single one, uh, just touched my heart this morning. The one in particular was, is in the garden. That's one of my favorite hymns. I can remember being a, the first time I heard it, I was just little. And for whatever reason, it really just really spoke to my heart and moved me to tears this morning. Because that's the kind of relationship I want to have with God. Just walking with him, talking with him. And I think that's, I think it really touched me this morning because of where the Lord has me going with this uh, as I'm teaching Sunday school this month. Um, please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I've been praying about what the Lord would have me to bring over this next few weeks. And I kept. I think I started praying earlier than I usually do about it, and I just kept not having a good direction. Different ideas would pop into my head, and as I'd start to kind of study them out, it just didn't seem like the Lord was in those. Um, So I just kept on praying and trying to seek his heart, and began, uh, kind of he put it on my heart to start searching in my own life and see where things I might be lacking in where he can help build me up, and hopefully in turn that I can take that and bring that to you. Um, One of the topics the Lord brought to my heart was that of holiness, especially in regard to living a holy life. I kept praying about that, and the Lord really began to point out some areas in my life where I really am lacking in holiness. And my thoughts, my manner of speech, my motivations, those things inside me that, that I use to, you know, that, that direct what I do in my life. Uh, my desires to satisfy my fleshly, what I consider, you know, what, I, what people would call fleshly needs. All of that kind of stuff began standing out as things that I need to start conforming to the character of Christ. So I'm going to call this series Holiness for 2021. And I hope that with the Lord's help, I'll be able to have practical application for ways to improve my conformity to Christ's character and be able to share those with you. This week, we're going to just kind of lay the foundation. We're going to look at what is holiness What does it mean to say that God is holy? What does it mean to say that a person is holy? Why should we be focused on being holy? If you're there in 1 Peter, chapter 1, read verse 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you today. My heart's full of gratitude for all that you are. You're an amazing and good God. I praise you for who you are, for all of what makes you the one true God who is holy to perfection. Thank you for calling us to be holy. And thank you that because of who you are, we can be sure that you wouldn't call us to something that's impossible. So Lord, as we talk today about you, about your holiness, and all that goes along with that, I pray that you will guide my words. I pray that you'll use me, even more that you will move, just move me out of the way. And just let what I say be completely of you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Be ye holy, for I am holy. For those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time, for new Christians, I wonder if you can count how many times you've heard that phrase. Heard it taught, read it in your devotions, talked about it with other believers. It's a short and simple phrase. It's easily understood in the mind. The meaning is very clear. But it's very hard to carry out. For all believers, whether new or mature, it's a command that the Lord has given in his word. And I wonder, how much thought do we give every day to being holy? How much effort do we put into it? So I said we'd explore holiness. I want to start by just kind of looking at the, defi- the dictionary definition of what holiness is. When I'm studying the Bible, I try and use the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Um, so many modern dictionaries really water down the meaning of words. And just like the modern versions of the Bible. And when you really look into what words mean, you want to look at what they meant to the people who were, like for the translators of the King James Bible. What did those words mean to them? And as I, this is just kind of an aside, as I was looking into it, I just, I did the typical thing to Google holiness and Google holy. And Google started doing this thing where they show the use of a word over time. When you, when you do a search for a word, it gives you the definition, but it then also shows the use of the word over time. And it went from 1800 to the present day. And it was really interesting to me to see in the 1800s, the use of holiness and the word holy kept going up and up and up. And then it started tapering off really quickly. Interesting to me was it started tapering off really quickly in the 1920s, and it kind of hit a valley all the way through the 1980s, where it was about one-twentieth of the usage that it had been before that at its highest peak in, on the graph. And as I just kind of thought about that, I just wondered about, you know, we know that the morality of our country has been declining for a long time. We kind of always point to like the, the 60s as you know, that time when you know, the sexual revolution and 
and you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and all of that kind of came into play. But as I, as I looked at that graph, I, I started thinking that the foundation for all of that decline in our morality started a lot, a lot earlier than we typically think, because by the 1920s, people weren't writing about holiness, people weren't talking about holiness. And so as the, as the generations that were brought up before that started to die off, then the holiness, the thoughts of holiness and the, the, the desire to be holy started waning in our, in our, in our world. And, you know, we, and so all of those things like removing prayer from public school and all of that, like I said, the sexual revolution that we point to the 60s, the, the basis for that started a lot, a lot further back. So, um, but one other interesting thing is since 2000, we're starting to see an increase in the word holiness being used. So I don't know what, I don't know where God has us going, but people are becoming more interested in being holy. It's not anywhere near it was in the 1800s. It's about four times what it was at its peak instead of the 20 times that it was in the 1800s, but it's still, or it's four times the, the valley rather, but it's, it's still there's a resurgence in people in being interested in writing about and conversing about holiness. All right, so the definition. Holiness is from the word holy, the state of being holy, purity or integrity of moral character, freedom from sin, sanctity. Applied to the supreme being, holiness denotes perfect purity or integrity of moral character, one of his essential attributes. And it, even it, in the dictionary, it says, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, from Exodus 15. Applied to human beings, holiness is purity of heart or dispositions, sanctified affections, piety, moral goodness, but not perfect. There's other definitions listed, but those are the ones that I really want to focus on. And then the other so what I also decided to do, I wanted to look at holy because holy was used in the definition of holiness. And so holy says properly whole, entire, or perfect in a moral sense. Hence, pure in heart, temper, or dispositions. Free from sin and sinful affections. Applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. And a man is more or less holy as his heart is more or less sanctified or purified from evil, evil dispositions. We call a man holy when his heart is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by the divine precepts. Hence, holy is used as nearly synonymous with good, pious, and godly. And then it says, be holy for I am holy, 1 Peter 1. The other definition, the second definition of holy is also included. Um, and it says, hallowed, consecrated, or set apart to a sacred use or to the service or worship of God. A sense that's frequent in spirit as the holy, sorry, is frequent in scripture as the holy Sabbath day. Holy oil, holy vessels, a holy nation, the holy temple, a holy priesthood. So those, there are other definitions again, but those are the ones that I want to focus on. First thing I want to point out from the definitions that we just read is that there's a very, two very distinct and differing definitions similar. One is for holy and holiness when applied to God, 
and the other is for when those terms are applied to man. When applied to God, we see that the essence of the word, the perfection of the word, is God, because God is perfectly whole, entire, and perfect in a moral sense. There's nothing that can make him more moral, more holy. His entire character is holy. Holiness describes him. Perfectly pure, immaculate, without any sort of spot or blemish, and complete in moral character. And I really appreciate that the Webster's 1828 definition, when it applies both to God and even to man, we call a man holy when he is conformed in some degree to the image of God, and his life is regulated by the defined precepts. So we can use those synonyms, good, pious, and godly, while we're talking about holiness. We also see that there are degrees of, of holiness. As we become more conformed to the image of God, as we seek to emulate and conform to the character of Christ, we become more holy. It's a lifelong process. But, I want, but one I believe that is neglected by many, if not most Christians. So we see from the definition that God is holy and that this is backed up over and over again throughout the Bible. Between holy and holiness, those words are used over 500 times and almost always refer either to God himself, to the things of God, the word of God, or the people of God. So if there's such an emphasis on holiness in the Bible and we say that God is holy, Shouldn't that be more of a focus for us? Leviticus 19, 1 and 2 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation, the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And that's the verse that First Peter, that we read in First Peter, is referring back to, as it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 20, 26 says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that you should be mine. There's just a couple of the many verses in the Bible that declare that God is holy. I took two from the book of Leviticus because I remember reading through the book of Leviticus the first time it came to life for me. Like the Spirit just illumined it for me one time. And it's just, it's just amazing to me how much the holiness of God permeates the entire book of Leviticus. It's full of commands to ensure that the children of Israel were in fellowship with the Lord. And ways to regain that fellowship should it be lost. The requirements of the law no longer apply since Christ fulfilled the law. But, we know, but because we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can learn much about his character and his holiness through reading through this book of Leviticus. Reading it in that way, will give you an awe of the Lord and his holiness and show you his desire for his people, for us to be holy. God is holy because he is holy. It's who he is. It's what makes him God. God's people are to be holy because we are associated with him. We carry his name. And he, desi and he desires his name to always be holy. I'm going to read a quote from A.W. Tozer, and Tozer wrote, had some amazing writings and sermons, and I can only describe what, what he had as almost a supernatural grasp on who God is. All accounts of his life 
say that, show that he was a man of, of prayer. And I believe that's what gave him that amazing perspective. Prayer and the Holy Spirit led to an incredible closeness to the Lord. And his, I think his writings and sermons reflect that. Tozer said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. And that brought me to the question, do we think of ourselves as belonging to God? Then we should be holy. As Tozer states, his attributes are holy. God's attributes are all holy. Pastor taught on the attributes, and I keep referring to those. I think every single month when I teach, I refer to them. We learn that God's holiness is the combination of the essence of all of his attributes. In much the same way as that white light is the combination of all colors of light. And Pastor used that illustration of the prism with the white light shining through and, and being bent into all the different colors that we can see, all the colors of the rainbow. In much the same way, when we look at the holiness of God, we have to look at all of the things that make up that holiness. And I, I wrestled with this. Should I do this again? Because I seem to always do this. The attributes of God are what make him holy that we should know what they are. And so I am going to take some time and review those attributes again because every time that I review the attributes of God, I feel closer to him. And I want the same for you. I think that by often repeating these, we, we can become more familiar. We can familiarize ourselves with God, not in that too familiar, chummy kind of way, but rather to help us deepen our love for him. By, be right, by being reminded of who he is. It's easy in the disruption and the chaos that surround us in this world to lose track of God, of who he is, the one sovereign God that we serve. I'm going to quickly touch on each attribute. Definitely not an in-depth study on, on any of them. Pastor spent, I think, a, an entire lesson on each one of these attributes, and, and I think an entire series could be done on every single attribute of God. But I'm going to read some verses and, and make a little bit of comment on each one. And I hope that it helps us to better understand the God we serve, to understand that, understand what it is that makes him holy. And by understanding his holiness, I pray that it will fuel a desire for our own personal holiness. So the first attribute that we think of when we think of God is that he's incomprehensible. It's a good one to start with because I just said we want to familiarize familiarize ourselves with God, yet we say that he's incomprehensible. Can't understand who he really is. There's so much to him. Job, probably one of the people that you think of in the Bible that walked closest to God, had this to say, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He's saying God is so incomprehensible, but I would commit myself to him because I know who he is. And again, he says, Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, 
He hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And Isaiah said, in Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's incomprehensibility means that we can never comprehend fully. We can never understand all that there is to God. Just when we think we have even just a part of him figured out, he will reveal more of himself to us through the scriptures. And we'll realize how little of him we really know and how much more of him there still is to know. So God's incomprehensible. He's also self-existent. In Exodus 3, 13 to 14, we read, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me. What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me to you. And then in Revelation, he speaks again. I love that it's in the beginning of the Bible and then at the end. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. He exists because he is. Only one being can say, I am that I am. He exists because of who he is. I am because of me. That's what he's saying. God is self-sufficient. Acts 17, 24 to 25 says, God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. This self-sufficiency is, clo is closely related to being self-existent. Self-existent, self though, is more towards his origin and how he exists because of himself. He exists because he exists. Self-sufficiency takes it a step further and says he, ex he continues to exist because of himself. He needs nothing external to himself to continue to exist. Not only that, but all things exist and continue to exist because of him. As we see in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by, all, by him all things consist. And the word consist there means hold, hold together. So by, by his power, every single thing that we see is held together. If you talk to my son Jake, he, he likes to talk about that. He talks about the physics of how atoms shouldn't hold together if you just look at an atom for itself. That just proves that there's a God holding it together, every single atom. So he's self-sufficient. He's also eternal. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. He has always existed, and he always will. He has no beginning. We can see how these attributes are interrelated. We, we try to boil down, God down into these different attributes, but he's so much more than even the sum of those attributes. He is perfection, the perfect combination of all of his attributes. In this case, he's self-existent because of himself, and he has always existed because of himself. 
Isaiah 57:15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I love this verse. The high and lofty one, he cares so deeply for each one of us that he will revive our spirits. He will revive our hearts when we're downcast, feeling contrite over our sins. He will revive us. And in the Psalms we see, again, his eternity. Psalm 41.13 says, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting into everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 91 through 4, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in, in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. God's eternal. God is also infinite. King Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, spent all those years building the temple that his father had envisioned. And then as, as the prayer of dedication, it was a beautiful temple. Nothing had been seen like that before. But he realized that, it's, that even as beautiful and magnificent a temple as it was, it was nothing compared to God. 1 Kings 8, 27 and 28. But God will indeed, but will God in dwell on the earth. Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. Yet thou have, have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. So we see that Solomon has an understanding that although he's built this magnificent, by worldly standards, house for God, God cannot be contained by that house. He understands that God's lowering himself to allow his presence in the house made by his hands. God's infiniteness applies to all of his other attributes. He's infinite in his perfections, in his purity, in his justice, in his goodness, in his mercy, his love, in his knowledge, his wisdom, his power, his holiness. There's no end to any of his attributes. In Psalm 147.5, the psalmist realizes this when he says, Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. Everything about God is infinite, beyond measure. God is omnipotent. There's a reason that he's called the Almighty God over three dozen times in Scripture. Genesis 18.4 asks this rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The obvious answer is no. There's nothing too hard for him. In the Gospels, Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto, unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And again in Luke 1, 37, he says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And in Revelation 19, 6 we read, And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigns. He's in charge. What an amazing thing to say that nothing is too hard for him. And every time, I, every time I meditate on this one, I think to myself, why don't I ask him for help more often? 
Why don't I cry out to him when I need help in my everyday life? Stop struggling in my own silly, feeble strength. Give it to the one who has all the power. He's omnipotent. He's also omniscient. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. And then uh, I always come back to this definition that Pastor gave when, he, when, when he, we studied this attribute of God because it just is so concise and so it just gets to the heart of the matter. And it says, God possesses without prior discovery of facts. It means he doesn't have to figure it out or have someone teach him. So God possesses without prior discovery of facts complete and universal knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. He knows it all. So he, he sees all things. He knows all things big and small of the universe. He understands how atoms hold together. He understands how galaxies and black holes work. From the smallest to the greatest, he, under, he knows and he understands it. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our deeds and our actions. He knows our sorrows. He knows our devotion. He knows our frailties. He knows our foolishness. And he knows our, his own. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And not only does he know all things, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. The psalmist in Psalm 139, 7 through 12 asks, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. And in Jeremiah, God says through the prophet, Am I? A God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? This attribute, this omnipresence, along with his omniscience, are attributes of God that should both comfort us and fill us with a holy fear. The fear should be of sin. Because he's omnipresent, he's there and fully aware of our sin. As we commit it, and with his omniscience, he's fully aware of the thought of our sin even before we commit it. It should be a sobering thought for us, leading us to greater holiness. But the comfort comes in knowing that no matter how alone we may feel, he's always there, wherever we are. And he knows all of our inner struggles. Even when it seems we're struggling alone, he is there. And he knows and he cares. God is all wise. Jude verse 25 says, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Ephesians 1.8 tells us, He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. All of that knowledge from his omniscience, he understands its application to life. And knowing him as a source of all wisdom, I love this promise that he gives us in James 1.25. If any of you... <laughs> 
If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. As a promise, a firm promise. All we have to do is ask. Ask him for wisdom, and he will give it to us liberally. He can give it liberally because he has all of it. Wisdom for every single situation that we find ourselves in. He has all the wisdom we need to be able to handle it. God is immutable. In Malachi 3.6, he speaks to the prophet. And he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. And in Hebrews 6.17-19, he's speaking of his covenant promise to Abraham. And he says, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that is, by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. His immutability is, is truly an anchor for our souls. In this world where everything is upside down and inside out, goods declared evil, evils declared good, we have a sure and steadfast anchor, the unchanging God. God is sovereign. In Isaiah 46, 9-11, God says through the prophet again, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Yes, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Only God can say that. I will do it. I have purposed it. I will also do it. He's saying, look throughout history. What I've said, I've done. I have caused things to happen. I will continue to cause things to happen. I declared what would happen from the beginning, and it will happen. He's in control. And that means that nothing happens that he hasn't brought about himself or hasn't allowed in his, in his plan to happen. When we, when we apply this to our lives, it should bring great peace, the peace that passeth understanding. Because when we rely on his sovereignty, coupled with his other attributes, we can rest assured that Romans 8.28 is true, that all things work together for good for those who love him. God is light. 1 John 1, 4 through 7 speaks of this. And these things we write to you, your joy, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. But ye shall show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, what a comfort in this dark world. We serve the God of light. No wonder the world hates him. He shines light on the darkness of its evil deeds. God's inscrutable. He speaks of this in the prophet Isaiah 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This means that we can't always understand and figure out what God's purposes are. The important thing to remember is that while God's will may not make sense to us, it's perfectly clear to him. And although we don't have all the answers, he does. And we can rest in that even through the most difficult of times. God is faithful. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, the prophet Jeremiah says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The psalm the psalmist tells us in Psalm 36, 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth, out, reacheth unto the clouds. This is one of my favorite attributes. That immutable, unchanging God is faithful. He is always faithful, no matter what. No matter how much I stray, no matter how feeble my faith, no matter how dark the hour, no matter how unfaithful I've been, He is faithful. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can regain that fellowship with him. God is true. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No matter what version of truth is being thrown around in the airwaves or the internet, we can be sure that we have truth. When, we're, when everything that's coming at us, we, we can't be sure what to believe. It's we know that everyone out there has an agenda. But we know we have the truth God is good. In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7, we read, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. The Psalms just are full of the, good, of the goodness of the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. God is just and righteous. Again, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, there is no God else beside me, a just God and Savior. There is none beside me. And the psalmist says, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. This one should be scary to us if it weren't for the next attributes. And that is that God is merciful. We read Psalm 136. We definitely don't have time to read it today. He says 26 times in that psalm, His mercy endureth forever. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. And it goes on and on through all of the history of Israel, of all the things that God has done and how his mercy endures forever. God's mercy is that withholding that punishment that we deserve for our sins and those sins that his justice and righteousness demand payment for, but he provided for us. His grace, God is gracious, full of grace. 
Psalm 116.5 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. That combination of his attributes in that one small verse. His grace gives us what we don't deserve. Heaven. And the other countless blessings that he gives us every single day. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God for us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is holy. This is the attribute of God that encompasses all of his other attributes. The attribute of holiness speaks to his uniqueness, his set-apartness. There is none like him. All of his other attributes come to, to, together to describe who he is. He is holy. In our text for today, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And our God calls us to be holy, to be set apart, to be different, a light in this dark world, to be morally pure in this corrupt and perverse world, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.